sweet land of liberty, our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring, my friend. Today we're going to talk about what is really the main issue in religious freedom in America today and featuring legislative efforts in the United States Congress, piece of legislation called Fairness for All. And I'm happy to welcome to Freedom's Ring the Director of Government Relations for the Seventh-day Adventist Church, Bettina Krauss. Tina, welcome. It is a pleasure to be here, Alan. So. The main issue in religious freedom in America is this conflict between LGBTQ rights and religious freedom. And uh, first of all, brief our listeners for a moment. Uh, I'm sure many have heard about the Equality Act, which has gained a lot of uh, support in the House of Representatives. They haven't yet heard about the bill we're going to talk about much anyway, Fairness for All, but where do we stand? What is the Equality Act, and what is it that we're we're kind of facing if things go south? Sure, sure. Well, as most people know, if they've um, read the news, the Equality Act passed in the House in March this year, and it passed by an overwhelming majority, uh, 236 to 176. Uh, but what was unusual about this is that This has not been a short-term effort. It's been almost two decades, at least, in the works of introducing and reintroducing this Act. And basically what this Act is, is an attempt to broaden and strengthen LGBT civil rights at the federal level, which in itself may not seem problematic, except for the fact that this piece of legislation utterly fails to make any provision for those uh, either institutions or individuals who hold to a traditional biblical view of marriage and marriage relationships. So it not only refuses to recognize, but it actually um, specifically kind of overrides existing protections for religious institutions, right? Correct. It specifically excludes appeals to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which, as you know, is an important piece of legislation which allows people of faith to bring their religious freedom claims to the court and have them weighed against other competing claims or rights. Now, the Religious Freedom Restoration Act is not a trump card for religious individuals. You don't simply claim it and win your case. You have to engage in a balancing process. But what the Equality Act does is to exclude even access for people of faith to this mechanism by which they can allow the court to weigh their claims. So when I lecture about the conflict between religious freedom and LGBT rights, I often use the, the catchy heading, wake up and smell the equality. Well, you know, the Equality Act here is, you know, equality for some, but not necessarily for others, because those with religious uh, convictions about marriage and human sexuality, those 
and those institutions are less equal. Uh, they right. have to yield to, have to yield. the broader concepts of equality for people based on their uh, sexual identity and, and orientation. Um, well, in the midst right. of this conflict several years ago, Utah, of all places, which is, of course, a state with very strong domination, if you will, um, participation from uh, the Mormon Church, yes. they decided to move ahead with legislation that has come to be called the Utah Compromise that uh, uh, is kind of a package of protections for both religious liberty and uh, LGBT rights, interestingly right. enough. Yes. Go ahead. I mean, and this is a fascinating case because as it stands now, Utah is the only state to have um, taken this approach. And basically, this approach rejects a polarized view of this issue because the discourse that we see around the tension between equality and religious freedom is that there can be only one winner, that that, that there must be um, a winner, a loser, and we have to fight it to the death. I mean, this is how right. it, it is phrased. A zero-sum game, we call it. A, a zero-sum game. But what Utah did is um, a number of uh, advocates got together and said, how can we find a value that we can all agree on? LGBT individuals, um, people of faith, um, legislators, what, what value defines what would be an optimal outcome for everyone? And the value that they identified is dignity. And they felt that um, there were ways to accommodate both religious freedom and civil rights for LGBT uh, individuals, and that everyone could um, exercise their rights in a dignified way. And the Utah Compromise, in a way, it's an unfortunate title because it's not so much compromise as in an accommodation. It's a way to allow everyone's rights to be um, to exist and to be respected uh, under law. Now, this is a this is a really challenging idea for many Christian believers right. because when you know when you talk about the notion of winners and losers a zero sum game I think a lot of Christians say yes you know we deserve to have our rights respected but you know homosexuality is immoral and we don't agree that there should be gay rights and so I think that there is a I don't know if it's a prevailing view, but mm -hmm. it's certainly not an uncommon view that would question, really, right. are you saying that we should protect the rights of gays and Christians right. both? Well, Alan, I mean, it's an interesting question you raise, and it's one people aren't thinking deeply about the issue may have a knee-jerk, reflexive response to the suggestion that we can accommodate both claims. You know, if you think about it, I think very few Americans indeed really truly believe that God wants LGBT individuals to be unemployed, homeless, or without access to basic goods and services. I'm not sure that people's understanding of uh, brotherly love, sisterly love, and and living out Christian principles in the community would accommodate that very harsh view. Well, and this leads us then to the effort 
uh, in Congress. And, you know, look, whatever we may think is the ideal in an ideal society, we live in a very messy and sinful world where there's a lot of people who don't agree with our ideals and don't certainly don't live up to them. Right. And how do we somehow forge ahead and protect freedom, uh, not just for ourselves, but, you know, in this messy real world? And, and that's where fairness for all comes in, right? Correct. Fairness for all had its um, inspiration, I guess, from the Utah Compromise. But it, it really has developed at the federal level thanks to um, a broad coalition of faith groups, LGBT groups, um, and others who are in, interested in protecting religious freedom and uh, the civil rights of everyone in the public realm. And what it does, I mean, on the side of religious institutions, for instance, this legislation would do things like um, allow religious groups to preach to live by their t- teachings about traditional relationships, sexual relationships, without losing, for instance, their federal tax-exempt status. Um, it would protect them from uh, anti-discrimination lawsuits under federal anti-discrimination law and also state law. It would allow religious employers, schools, hospitals, institutions to continue to hire only members of their own faith who, you know, who live by certain code of conduct and behavior. Uh, It it allows a whole raft of um, freedom from um, anti-discrimination law that allows religious institutions to assert their right, their religious freedom right, to hold and to administer their institutions by traditional values and traditional ideas of marriage and relationships. Now, you know, I'm going to kind of jump ahead here for a minute, Bettina, because when you talk about all of these issues, tax exempt status, et cetera, the reality that our listeners may not appreciate is that if we don't do something like Fairness for All, we could very well lose the ability to have hospitals and colleges and universities and elementary schools, Christian institutions in this country, in many, many states in this country, that uphold biblical, what we would say are traditional biblical values about marriage and human sexuality. We would either have to stop teaching those things, stop practicing those things, conform to the so-called LGBT agenda, or literally be shut down. We could not exist. And I don't think that, I I don't think we, that that listeners can really understand the gravity of the situation and the need for some kind of, you know, lack of a better word, compromise, truce in the culture wars. uh, If we don't really get just, what a precarious position we're in. Right. And you see the examples of a number of Catholic adoption agencies which have had to shut their doors because they've refused to um, abide by state regulations which um, require them to allow same-sex couples to adopt children through their agency. I mean, this is not theoretical anymore. I mean, these are... It hasn't been for a number of years. Correct. That's right. We're living in a different era now. And 
the Equality Act, the Do No Harm Act, and other pieces of legislation are simply clear indicators of the trajectory that we are inevitably following on this issue. And it really is incumbent on religious institutions to take stock and say, where is this culture war leading us? Where will our ability be to administer ourselves and our institutions according to our values? And then say, how can we now take action to protect that ability? And I believe the Fairness for All Act is a principled approach, which is ensuring religious freedom on one hand and acknowledging that everyone in the public realm should have their civil rights protected. It's not an either or, it's a both. And Fairness for All uh, manages that. I think... um the two sort of catchphrases that come to my mind, first from a Christian point of view, is the golden rule. Um, right. You know, if you have, uh, let's say, a gay son or daughter, how do you want them treated when they go right. apply for a job, when they need benefits, health care, what have you? Do you want them excluded or do you want them cared for? Do you want them to be able to be hired and, you know, thrive on the basis of mm. their own excellence or excluded on the basis of, you know, a personal characteristic like their sexuality? Yeah. yeah. And I like to think of it also in terms of, as Christians, we believe that every single person, regardless of their choices, regardless of their behavior, they are made in the image of God. And this mark of the divine in every individual means that we really have a responsibility to treat everyone with dignity and respect. And I, I think right. that that's goes also. Yeah, yeah, that's another reason of the golden rule. Correct. Bettina, we are out of time. This has been a wonderful conversation about fairness for all, about the risks ahead for church institutions. This has been Freedom's Ring. I'm your host, Alan Reinach. Until next week, let freedom ring.